Welcome to Life on Life City Church, week nine, where today we're going to talk about the forgotten God. Fred Craddock tells this story. There was a certain town where all the residents were ducks. Every Sunday, the ducks would waddle out of their houses and waddle down Main Street. They would waddle into the church and squat in their proper pews, and the duck choir would waddle in, and the duck minister would come forward and open his Bible and read, Fellow ducks, God has given us wings. With wings we can fly. We can mount up and soar like eagles. We are winged creatures. No walls can confine us. God has given us wings, so let's fly. And all the ducks shouted, Amen, Amen. And Craddock says, And then they all waddled home. In his book, Forgotten God, Francis Chan writes, If you or I had, ever, had, if you or I had never been to a church and had read only the Old and New Testaments, we would have significant expectations of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He continues, There is a big gap between what we read in Scripture about the Holy Spirit and how most believers in churches operate today. Close quote. To give just a couple of examples, in Acts 2, Peter promises the crowd that whosoever believes, quote, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote to the Corinthians that his words were not wise and persuasive, but rather, quote, a demonstration of the Spirit's power in order that their faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. That's 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4. If we read and believed those accounts, we would expect a great deal of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He would not be a mostly forgotten member of the Godhead, whom we occasionally recognize, which is what he's become in many churches. Sinclair Ferguson agrees in his book, The Holy Spirit, Ferguson writes, While his work has been recognized, the Spirit himself remains to many Christians an anonymous, faceless aspect of the divine being if not forgotten, at least unknown. Ferguson continues, The typical relationship between believers and the Holy Spirit is all too often like that between a husband and a wife in a bad marriage. They live under the same roof. The husband makes constant use of the wife's services, but he fails to recognize her presence and celebrate their relationship. Close quote. For many... The Holy Spirit is tragically neglected. And yet the Holy Spirit is how we experience God in our lives. Gordon Fee calls him God's empowering presence. John Calvin describes him as the bond who connects us to the living Christ and all of his benefits. He's saying that all the wonderful truths of the Bible, that God is our Father, the forgiveness of our sins, the comfort of God's love, the power of his presence, all of these promises remain lifeless abstractions unless the Holy Spirit applies and seals them to our hearts in ways that bring tears to our eyes. Romans 8-9 says, If we do not have the Spirit, we do not have Christ. Our ongoing experience of God is tied to our ongoing experience of His Holy Spirit. And yet, the Holy Spirit remains for many of us, unknown and neglected. And this lack of awareness impoverishes our lives. 
We all know something is missing. No one can read the accounts in the New Testament of the extravagant promises God promises to those who believe, like God will cause rivers of living water to well up inside and flow out of our lives. No one can read such passages and not conclude that we are missing something today. Have you ever asked, what am I missing? Well, I'd like us to consider that what we're missing is not something, but someone. And that what we need is not more teaching. We need a fresh outpouring of God's Spirit on our lives. We need what the Apostle Paul was talking about, a demonstration of the Spirit and of His power. We need not just to talk about, but encounter God until we can look in the mirror and say, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? It's 1 Corinthians 3.16. Now there are many places I could take you in the Bible for us to learn about the Holy Spirit, but the most significant teaching about the Holy Spirit is given by Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapters 14 through 17. I'm going to focus our attention on just two verses to see what promise Jesus makes to his disciples on his last night and what that promise still means for us today. Look at John 16, verse 7. For now, just the first half of that verse. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, Jesus says. It's for your good that I'm going away. It's better that I'm leaving. How could that be true? Please try and put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They'd left everything to follow this man. He told them he was the promised Messiah who was going to usher in God's kingdom, overthrow their enemies, and set them free. And yet now he tells them that he must depart, that he's going away. And he tells them where he's going, they cannot go with him. These men who'd been with him almost night and day for three years. It would be one thing for Jesus to have said, let not your hearts be troubled. But he goes further to say not only that it will be bearable for him to depart, but goes further to say, I tell you it is to your advantage that I go away. How could it possibly be to his disciples' advantage for Jesus to leave them? What could possibly be better than having Jesus with you and beside you day after day listening to him, learning from him, being able to see him with your own eyes. In your own moments of doubt, haven't you ever asked, Jesus, if I could just see you once or touch you? If I may complicate the picture, right after that, Jesus says that he must depart. He adds, I will not leave you as orphans. And that's heartbreaking, isn't it? Because orphan captures exactly how they felt in that moment, bereft. But now they're told, I will not leave you as orphans. And yet Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's better for you that I leave. How could this be true, Jesus? Well, here's what I consider the single most important sentence Jesus ever uttered about the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 16. Jesus makes this promise to his disciples. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This word helper translates the Greek word paraclete. 
Paraclete is a notoriously difficult word to translate. If you look up different English translations, you'll see the word variously translated helper, comforter, counselor, advocate, and friend. The point is there's no exact English equivalent for this word that Jesus uses. There have been reams written about this word trying to make clear Jesus' meaning. But we focus so much on this unusual word that we overlook what may really be the key word in the verse. And I wonder if you've ever noticed it. Look again at John 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another paraclete to be with you forever. And you heard at that time, another. Another? Well, who was the first? Who was the original paraclete? Who was the true helper, the constant counselor, the deep comforter, the staunch advocate, the unfailing friend? See, how could Jesus possibly say to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away? How could it possibly be better not to have the presence of Jesus physically with them? Well, the only thing better than being beside Jesus wherever he goes is having Jesus inside of us wherever we go and whatever we're facing. That is what Jesus is promising his disciples. Now go back and read John 16, verse 7, but this time the whole verse. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, counselor, comforter, advocate, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and take you to myself. That's John 14, 3. But until that day, Jesus says, I'm sending another who will be with you forever. Paul calls the Spirit, quote, the guarantee of our inheritance, Ephesians 1.13. The down payment, that is, of the immeasurable riches God has promised us as his children, his heirs. That's why Jesus can say, I will not leave you as orphans right before he's about to leave them. That's why in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end, right before he disappears from their sight. Do you ever notice that? I am with you always, and then he's gone. <clears throat> Sinclair Ferguson summarizes what Jesus is saying in John 14 through 16. Having the Spirit means nothing less than having the incarnate, obedient, crucified, resurrected, and reigning Christ within us. Is that not the most wonderful promise you've ever heard in your life? I don't know about you, but I need a lot of help. I call my wife and friends sometimes several times a day. How often I forget that I have a helper at hand who can help me far more than even those who love me the most in this world. I need a lot of counseling and have benefited from wise counselors, but how often I forget that I have a wise counselor always on call, always available to me anytime I call upon him day or night. So often I felt like if only I had someone to stand with me and defend me against misunderstanding or against charges that have been brought against me, someone to advocate for me, and how often I forget that I have such an advocate. Sometimes I get lonely and wish someone understood me completely and could meet my deepest needs. How often I forget that I have such a friend in Jesus. And what a friend 
who will never, no, not ever, leave me or forsake me. Do we have any idea what power we carry around inside of us? The immeasurable greatness of His power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is in us. Oh, if only we knew that, what assurance we would have. What comfort could be ours? What security? Do you remember what King Solomon, um, when he built his magnificent temple in Jerusalem, this huge, uh, filled with gold and silver, the breathtaking temple, do you remember what he prayed when he dedicated it? 1 Kings 8.27 But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. It was just incomprehensible to Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, that a mere stone building could be a connecting point between heaven and earth where the Almighty God would choose to make His presence manifest. It was incomprehensible, and yet the Apostle Paul asked us, this is 1 Corinthians six nineteen, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And Solomon was right. No temple could ever be grand enough to contain God's presence except the temple God himself chose when he came to earth, the human body. And the God who took on human flesh in Jesus Christ still takes on flesh, our flesh. Do we have any idea what we have if we have the Holy Spirit? Or as Paul laments to that same church, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? 2 Corinthians 13.5. And that's precisely what I'm suggesting we don't recognize, that we have tragically neglected the Holy Spirit. And this neglect has impoverished our lives and compromised our witness and left us feeling like orphans. Do you ever feel like there's no one out there to comfort you in the places where you feel most afraid? Oh, do you remember when Jesus went to the cross that he felt there was no one to comfort him? He gave up his comfort. The first paraclete gave up his life. But do you remember what he said? Jesus' final words. Luke 23, Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. He committed his spirit into his Father's hands. And what does the Father do with it? Well, have you ever noticed? Paul says in Galatians 4, verse 6, quote, God has sent the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And it is this living Spirit welling up in our hearts that cries out, Abba, Father, that cries out, God is my Father, I'm no longer an orphan. That's why one of the most common images in the early church for the Holy Spirit was the kiss, the kiss of God on our lives, assuring us in our spirits, by His Spirit, that we belong to Him, that we are beloved children of God. Because it's one thing to be told that God loves you or is well pleased with you, but it's another thing altogether to be caught up in the Father's arms and embraced. A child wants that more than being told. A wife wants that more than a verbal declaration. She wants to experience being cherished and searched after and kissed. And that's what we want, to experience the unsearchable love of God kissing our lives. Until that, the gospel will just remain an unopened package of beautiful ideas. 
but has that truth exploded in your heart? Have you been kissed? Is the Holy Spirit of God crying out within you? Well, then why are we waddling home? Well, because some of us have never been kissed. You hear these promises and you must admit, Lord, help me. That is not me. Please kiss my life. Well, ask God and today is your day. Others of us know what it once felt like to have been kissed, but it feels like we've been living in a loveless marriage, going through the motions. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who held the great pulpit at Westminster Chapel in London, one morning stood in the pulpit and asked, I want to talk to you today about the Holy Spirit. I want to know if you've experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He continued, I know some of you want to say about the Holy Spirit, we got it all at conversion. There's no need for any more experience. Well, said Lloyd-Jones, I have only one question to ask you. If you got it all at conversion, where in God's name is it? I know some people talk a lot, even boast of the Spirit, but their lives often don't bear His fruit, especially kindness. Others speak of the Holy Spirit in dry theoretical terms, but what no one should deny is that we are God's place of dwelling. And that leaves us with a hard question. If it's true that God's Spirit dwells in us and that our bodies are the Holy Spirit's temple, then shouldn't there be a huge difference between the person who has the Spirit of the living God living inside him and the person who doesn't? If God truly lives in you, shouldn't you expect your life to be somewhat different? Francis Chan asks, What disturbs me most is we're not really bothered that God living in us hasn't made much of a noticeable difference. He continues, If the Holy Spirit will not, were not in your life, would you know the difference? Would anyone? Are you feeling convicted? Well, that's one thing the Holy Spirit does. Jesus says, When he comes, he will convict. He cuts the heart. But if your child desperately wanted something, needed something, something good, and you had it within your power and means to provide it, would you give that to your child? Of course you would. Any parent would. Well, this is the image Jesus draws upon when he says in Luke 11, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You ever notice that verse, Luke 11, verse 13? Oh, so much of our life with God is remembering to ask, not because God is reluctant to give, but because we are reluctant to ask. And we tend to forget what a wise counselor, friend, advocate, and comforter we can always call on. Most of us want to know God's will for our lives, but God doesn't give us a five-year plan. He gives us a promise. I will not leave you. I'm, I will always be with you. God wants us to learn to listen to His Spirit through His words and in our hearts each day and throughout the day as difficult moments arise so that instead of searching for God's will, each of us would learn how to seek after the Spirit's leading in your life today. If you're listening to this feeling down, it's often not until we're at our wit's end that God answers our cries with His Holy Spirit. But how can He give us an answer when we're still well supplied with all sorts of answers of our own? Ask God for the Holy Spirit. 
I'll close with an image. Imagine two glasses of water and two packets of Alka-Seltzer. Suppose the glasses of water are two people. The Alka-Seltzer represents the gospel of Jesus Christ. Into one glass, a packet of Alka-Seltzer with the wrapper on, and the second, a packet of Alka-Seltzer opened. Question, do both glasses have the Alka-Seltzer, that is the gospel, within them? Well, what's the difference? In one, the gospel is an unopened packet of ideas. But in the other, those ideas have been opened up and connected with the living water. That's the Holy Spirit. It's the living power for living out the Christian life. In fact, a primary reason we're introducing the Holy Spirit here is that the Holy Spirit is the real agent of change in the Christian life. More on that in weeks to come. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But that's not the whole verse. Do you know what he says just before? Here's the whole verse, Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. He's the power we need. Oh, do we have any idea who we have within us as we face each day and what power is available to us? Lord, please open our eyes that we may see. And I'll see you next week.